This is The Stateless Man for the pursuit of individual liberty beyond arbitrary borders, oppressive governments, and myths of national obligations. If you value liberty and are willing to migrate and vote with your feet, you've come to the right place. This is the stateless man pursuing liberty beyond borders. That is international living, financial independence, and personal sovereignty. Uh, the sponsor of this hour is AMTG Solutions. That's amtgs.com for your digital media and web development needs. Uh, Tony, the founder of that organization, is a friend of mine and does excellent work, including thestatelessman.com. So check him out, amtgs.com. This last uh, half hour, we were discussing sovereignty for Hawaii or basically getting out of the United States, uh, what people call a union, but we know that it's not really voluntary. Uh, and now, I mean, these, these, as, I, as I noted leading into that segment, there are secessionist movements or sovereignty movements all around the world going on all the time, and borders are both porous and uh, they move, and countries cease to exist. Uh, Yale, our next guest, he is a fellow stateless man or international man, and I'm really pleased to have him associated with the show. He's written a bunch of articles for the site and uh, his own website is Liberty in Exile. He's got an excellent podcast. It's uh, my favorite. I listen to almost all of them. I, I, I follow them pretty closely. So that's libertyinexile.com. And he examines uh, the police state, international politics, uh, the European Union, um, a lot of great material. And, he, yeah, so he's now in Austria. I think he's doing a master's in uh, journalism or, I don't know, political, political, political economy maybe. Uh, but, and it, so his, his latest article on the site was, uh, Catalonia yearns to break free or yearns to be free, uh, about Catalonia within Spain, uh, and the movement for sovereignty there. But he is actually more of an expert on Quebec where he, uh, spent, I guess, the first 10 or so years of his life. And I really want to examine that one. That's close to me too because I have lived in Canada and lots of my cousins are, are based there. And one thing about Quebec, too, is that it's probably one of the closest places on the planet to actually achieving a voluntary secession. That is to say that it, it could be done that, that I think given a referendum, uh, they could leave and without any violence or anything like that. So, yeah, I'll, do you want to correct me on that? Is, am I mischaracterizing? Quebec? Well, not at all. Not at all, Fergus. Uh, again, thanks for having me on. But if uh, we just look back in the short term of history, just the time that I've been alive, right. we had a referendum in Quebec in 1995, and it lost by less than 1%. Incredible. Yeah. So, obviously, like you were saying, voluntary. In uh, I believe they had another referendum in 1980. In that one, they lost by about 10%, mm. um, so it didn't happen. But again, now there is a a separatist government is in control, and there are pushes to perhaps have a, a referendum within the next two or three years. So we could uh, see that coming down the pipe. What? Yeah, but yeah, again, let's examine. I'm getting a little bit of echo here. I, I don't know whether you're wearing headphones, but uh, I'm getting like I'm getting a bit of echo. But let's examine the history as to why. I mean, people don't realize that the provinces of Canada, many of them are relatively new, uh, Newfoundland and. Uh, Labrador, for example, they are, are a new, you could say, acquisition to the, na- to the nation. 
How did Quebec come to be part of Canada? Well, Quebec was always sort of at the base of the idea of Canada. It was uh, called Lower Canada initially. Mm. It was uh, at one point in time com- uh, controlled by the French as part of their empire, but come 1803 and the Louisiana Purchase down there and uh, the United States of America, yes. France basically left North America and left all the French-speaking population up in Lower Canada, as they're called, to the English. And the English, therefore, took over control and was able to rule them and impose all sorts of laws and regulations, especially how they were able to, to speak and use their language. And a lot of them were not allowed to speak French in any sort of public fashion. Hmm. So that was the beginning. And then you had the Confederation of Canada uh, towards 1867. That's sort of right after the or 18, yeah, right after the American Civil War. So they were sort of looking at what was going on there and saying, oh. we don't want a type of separation <laughs> here in Canada. So right. that's how it was birthed. Yeah, at that time, people forget that at the time, the war between the states and the United States was the most bloody war in history at that time. And I think somewhere around 600,000 uh, people died. I need to look back and get that number, but an extremely uh, violent and uh, costly you know, battle. Or more than battle war. So, okay. So, so Quebec was always not, well, you say lower Canada at that time. And I'm not sure why the British saw fit to impose a language or what the deal was with that. But I will say there still is a ton of, as you know, you know this so well, there's a ton of French spoken across Canada, not just in Quebec, but in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and I assume other parts of the country, although I'm not so familiar with outside of those few provinces. But, what has been the evolution then over the past, you could say, 150 years? Why has it taken so long if Quebec is or will become independent? Why has it not happened already? Well, it all goes down to autonomy. And there was really no constitution which ruled Canada uh, for about 100 years. You had something called the British North America Act, which is basically an act of the British Parliament, which was the founding document of Canada. And that really stood the test of time until about 1982 when you had the the Canadian constitution put forth by Pierre Trudeau, which really sparked the sovereignty movement, you know, Mm. to such an extreme and to this day just brings so much scorn. And uh, that's sort of being renewed now because his son, Justin Trudeau, uh, just won the leadership of the Liberal Party and the federal parliament. So. The same type of arguments are coming back up, and there's going to be much more uh, emphasis on this issue. That's an interesting point you make because I think people forget that Canada is more of a federal federal system than the United States, that Canada does not have a Department of Education. And we had a couple of weeks ago we had uh, Joe uh, Cannell from the Frontier Center discussing how all the property rights uh, go from the from the provincial level. Uh, and that I guess they can challenge them at the federal courts, but still Canada is, is very localized in a lot of its governance. And but we could discuss there there are there are major problems though in terms of things like equalization payments, which I'm sure rattle people not exactly the Quebecois. But uh, so there's there's been you could say in in more recent times a consolidation post the the North the British North America Act. Uh, we are, we're approaching the break though, so I'm going to. Uh, hold back on that. I'll just say that uh, Yalosovsky, he's a, a writer and a podcaster over in Austria right now. He does great work. He uh, publishes with Florida Watchdog and his own site, libertyandexile.com. 
Uh, and he's also written an article about Catalonia, the secessionist movement or sovereignty movement there. If you want to go to thesettlersman.com, just look up Catalonia. You will find it. If you have questions for him about what is going to happen in Quebec, because I know Yale still follows it closely and he does some broadcasts in French, you can call in 1-888-741-7472. Otherwise, stay with us. This is The Stateless Man. Welcome back to the Stateless Man Pursuing Liberty Beyond Borders. We're speaking uh, a good friend of mine and a, a fellow stateless man, a, an international traveler. Uh, his name is Yalosovsky. His website is libertyinexile.com. And he has lived in Quebec uh, throughout the United States, and he's over in Austria right now. And the, we've just been discussing the prospect of secession or sovereignty for Quebec, why that would occur. And there many questions arise from such a proposition. And what, one thing that makes this more interesting is that it actually could happen, that uh, Quebec could become an independent uh, nation. But the one thing that just came to mind then is, what about all the French speakers in places like New Brunswick? Yeah, I mean, that, that's always been uh, sort of the push. But the, the point is, is that sovereignty and independence for Quebec is not solely rooted in the French language. I know it sort of tends to take that approach. You know, people see it from the outside. Sure. But that's really not what it is. It's about age-old institutions. It's about the province of Quebec being self-sustaining, having its own electricity. It's really that push. And I also would like to go to your, your point. You're talking about how yeah, yeah. it could be feasible. There is a, right. a new book which just came out. A lot of people were, of course, uh, hubbubbing about mm. it in Quebec. It's called uh, London in 1981 or something like that. It's about how all the big countries, such as the U.S. and Britain, were actually preparing for Quebec to become an independent country. And the author was able to receive, you know, these confidential cables basically saying, oh, this is what we would do if Quebec became independent. We would become an ally. We would allow them for this. And mm. really, it was showing that even around the world, people saw that Quebec could initially become a nation. Yeah, I mean, well, the fact is, what, Quebec has something like 9 million people, right? Yeah, 8, 9 million. Yeah, so that's twice the size of New Zealand. Many nations, that's, that's more than Switzerland. Many nations have smaller populations than that, so I don't see any reason why it couldn't be. One challenge, and this sort of rhetoric you hear about, you know, united we stand, divided we fall is just uh, kind of silly. And I, I'll just say that many of the people up in Canada, I'm not sure whether you want to describe them as conservative, but just kind of whip, whip away at Quebec or mock it. But only when Quebec can really get independence can it can it really show its you could say true colors or whether it can stand alone. Right now, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. That even if you talk about this, you basically, Quebec has not really had a, had a chance to affirm its capacity to be independent. Now, why? So you can mock it all day until you actually give it a chance. It's you, it's just those are just kind of empty mocks. But anyway, so what would independence actually look like now? Because from memory. These questions about secession, the polls, they have, how can I put this? They, they've they included kind of provisos that you would still use the Canadian dollar, for example, the loonie. What are the provisos that usually go along with these uh, shifts toward, toward independence for Quebec? 
I think that's one part that is kind of problematic because the most resurgent type of separatism or as we would call sovereignty movements, and again, it's very palpable. They're in the National Assembly of Quebec. You have three parties which are all dedicated to sovereignty and they have majority control if you kind of slap them all together. Mm. What we're really talking about is a way for Quebec to move forward. And when people talk about what it would mean to have an independent Quebec, it just means being able to control its own affairs, not having to rely on Ottawa for all this money, not having to basically be told by Ottawa that we have to send soldiers into Afghanistan or they're thinking about going into Iraq that we have to continually be part of all these very expensive international treaties that perhaps Quebec does not want to be a part of. Another part that really fueled Quebec nationalism was World War II, where Canadian soldiers were basically conscripted into the war to help their ally, the British. And there were a lot of French speakers that were totally against the war, and there a lot of great literature and music has come about from that time. And I think that's another part of what has been very strong about Quebec is just the culture. It has its own music, its own language, its own perception of the world that they see as completely apart from the Canadian identity. And I think that's what all the people that you're talking about who try to rag on Quebec, they don't understand. Canada, the way it exists now, is is really nothing but the 51st state of the United States. And I, I don't oh. really, I, I'm not really ashamed <laughs> of saying that because it's true. Wow. Both countries, I know what it's like. There are tiny institutional differences, but really, that's all it is. It's true, actually. I will say that the disparities, I think there's still a lot of disparities in mindset uh, across the borders or culture, but in terms of actual governance, that those are diminishing all the time, particularly as uh, more states in the U.S. get sales taxes now. I'm not sure whether it's passed yet, but there's a likelihood that there'll be a, a across-the-board internet sales taxes, that every state will have to collect sales taxes on behalf of other states. And there may well be in the near future an actual national sales tax in the United States. So even the, so the tax burden will become much closer. So the, yeah, the differences are, how can I put this, yeah, diminishing. One thing, this is a bit of a, a, a sensitive topic, Pastor Quebecois, and I know you, you'd, be, you'd be better, well qualified to answer this one, but I have looked into the equalization system in Canada, particularly when I was a, a policy analyst back in, in Nova Scotia. And Nova Scotia is also, you could say, guilty of this, but the, what they call, what are the equalization payments that go from the federal government, so from other, other provinces to Quebec, equates to, I'm guessing a thousand dollars per person in Quebec. It might be more than that, but I haven't looked in a while, but basically, an enormous subsidy from other states to Quebec. And I'm, I'm sure this goes to bureaucracy and it's just wasted largely. But what do you make of the fact that so much money is going from other provinces to Quebec? That's sort of the way that the system is set up. Now in Canada, you have provinces, which do have a majority of the control, like you were saying before. And what really has emerged is you have provinces which are much richer, such as mm-hmm. Alberta, British Columbia, a lot of oil out there and a lot of power. And because Quebec, you know, maybe at one time was much more resilient, now it's facing tougher times. The way that the system is set up, they actually take in $8 billion. But the, the, the thing is, is that this is also sort of money that is taken out of the chunk that, that Quebecers themselves pay to Canada, because we have a federal sales tax in Canada as well. That doesn't really exist in the U.S. yet. 
but we have to pay every single transaction. Part of it goes to Ottawa, and that's income tax goes to Ottawa. And there's a lot, a, a lot of money, and there's a lot of studies that have been done by Montreal Economic Institute mm. specifically as to exactly how much. But it is true that right now, in order to fund all of their social welfare plans, like the you know five dollar a day daycare, Quebec is basically dependent upon the money that comes from the West. Right. And is that why we would we were in, uh, corresponding earlier about this? Is that why you support an incremental uh, process of Quebec Quebec independence? Well, I would uh, say that we would need independence in Quebec the second that Quebecers can prove that they can be independent. That what they do you, can be well, on how, their own. How, how could they prove that? Well, really, what that means is at this point you have to get things in order. You have to get the budget in order. You have to get the deficit in order. The amount of debt and deficits they have now in Quebec makes it the fifth most indebted jurisdiction politically in the world. Holy. And that, that, and that really is a problem you got when some, you're trying you, you, you to got speak some, about independence. Yeah, you've got some big competitors in that, in that field too. I mean, you're beating out uh, Greece. You're beating up – does that include state jurisdictions like California? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, that's, the, that's the thing is the fifth most and – Again, this is just at the beginning of the basically socialist Parti Québécois party who are hell-bent very much on pushing a much more state-centered mm. agenda than actual sovereignty. And I think that's what's kind of been the problem in Quebec is that sovereignty has been tied now to this leftist this sort of collectivist mindset. And I've, I've written articles to that effect right. and gotten a lot of flack for it. You, what, what's the flack? Because I my hunch is that too, that – even if Quebec were independent, I wouldn't be moving there because you've got such a police state uh, type government there. Yeah, that's the thing is that for especially a lot of, uh, I would say, right-leaning Quebecers or people who are just mindful of economics, yeah. the idea that the government wants to continually spend more and more, and actually they take more of their examples from France than they do from the U.S. in this <laughs> instance. They want to move their tax rates up to 75 percent. Whoa. Continually give out welfare. People won't leave at all. No. <laughs> Not at all. But no. there still is hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just really insightful, mate. We, we, we're hard against uh, the bottom of the hour. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, I really appreciate your work, and I'm glad you got to come on. Uh, we'll be in touch, okay? Sounds good, Fergus. Good luck. Thanks so much, mate. Uh, this is The Stateless Man, and we're broadcasting overseas. Ready now. Visit libertynexile.com.